In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the And welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me, my co-host, all the way from the shores of East Bridgewater, the very hot bombshell herself, <laughs> and Carrigan. Well, good evening. I've crawled a lot today. <laughs> it was warm today, wasn't it? A tad. A tad. Mm. It's nice, though. I mean, I don't have to work outside in it, so, you know, feels good to me. <laughs> you had to work outside? No, I said I don't. Oh, that's true. That's I wouldn't true. like it if I had to work out there. <laughs> no, no. So I was, like, sleeping two minutes ago, so I should be wide awake by now. Oh, well. <laughs> He'll slap you around, get you going there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my back's still killing me, so took some Uh-oh. extra extra pills. Uh oh, hmm. he's all drugged up. Drugged up. There you go. Uh oh. Anyways, we got a cool show tonight. But one thing I did want to mention is uh, the new uh, promo video on uh, our regular page. Yes. If you yes, go on the I'm, show page on yeah. Toginet. You get to see our, our little video that we made at the uh, haunted Collinwood Inn in Oneida, New York. Yes, our, our, our silly little video. <laughs> that was a great time, though. It really was. It was. It was. It was great. We had so much fun making that that promo, too, with Brian and Jerry. It, and uh, It took us, like, forever. And the bat on the broomstick. <laughs> right. whatever that Don't was. tell it away. Don't give it away. Oh, sorry. Jeez! Wow, I ruined it. Oh my god! My god, these—I I don't know what it is with women. They just can't keep their yaps closed. Oh, don't even push my buttons today, Colex. Yeah. Hey, I, I was actually thinking of you the other day because they had motorcycle night here at the Heritage Ice Cream place. Oh, so, really? Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> for those who don't know, uh, a uh, and the blonde bombshell is a motorcycle mama. Yeah. Right. That's me. Mm-hmm. Get your motor running. Yep. Now we don't have a Harley, but uh, we do have a motorcycle. <laughs> Whatever. It's a blast. We have we have a lot of fun. Yeah, and speaking about that, Oneida, uh, it must be hot out there because I know the Oneida, uh, the Collinwood Inn doesn't have air conditioning. Oh, no, it doesn't. But, you know, those old brick buildings, really, they hold in the coolness, you know. Mm-hmm. They do. Because, you know, I grew up in a 200-year-old colonial, and it did, you know, it was always cooler in there. 
than most places. So, uh, yeah, I built a 200-year-old colonial. You built <laughs> You did, did you? Mm-hmm. I always said you were older than dirt. Yeah, and don't forget, uh, they do have those jacuzzis there. They have the what? Jacuzzis. Jacuzzis. That's great on a 95 jacuzzi. Yeah, you just fill them up with cool water. It says it has to be hot water. That's right. That's true. You know? That's true. Hey, I'm good for that. It's like jumping in the pool, right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> they do have awesome jacuzzis. <laughs> Uh-oh, Brian says it's it's springing hot there. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Anyways, we have, uh, do, do you know anything about feng shui? I know nothing about feng shui, so oh, I'm cool. really this interested. Good for you. In, so I, I kind of like hope you would ask the questions because I, I know quite a bit of all of it. And it's, it's really a neat little thing. And we're about to talk to a young lady who, uh, uh, yes, that's what she does. Oh. So let's bring her on. Her name is Lisa Law of Lisa Law Design Associates. Hi, Ron. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on tonight. Hi, Lisa. Uh, uh, (laughs) Do you have air conditioning? Uh, In parts of my house, but it's 97 degrees right now in Nashua, New Hampshire. Ah. It's supposed to be even hotter tomorrow. Yep. Oh, and speaking of that, uh, con- congratulations. Yahoo! Yay! Da da da! Because it's now officially summer. Oh! oh. <laughs> Yay! So there you go. Okay. So, so Lisa, um, Ian knows very little about feng shui, feng shui. So, would you like to give a little primer about what it is exactly sure. and what it is you do? Yes. Please. Sure. <laughs> Um, Feng shui is all about making your environment support you in positive ways. We're constantly interacting with our environment, and our environment's constantly interacting with us, and we want those interactions to be positive. So if you have aspects of your work environment or your home that don't function well, or um, there are things in your environment that bring up negative emotions, we like to work within those spaces so that it's um, supporting you in the best ways possible. And we believe that all aspects of your life can be mapped onto the floor plan of your, of your spaces. We use what's called the Bagua map. And um, when all the energy is flowing in positive ways through all those different aspects of your life and all those different areas of your environment, it leads to a feeling of tranquility and well-being. So that's really what feng shui is all about, is having your environment work for you in positive ways. And at least you, know, you, you know what's really cool about it, and, and uh, I don't think Ian knows this, is that you can just do a little thing, just just change something a little bit, and really? it makes it all different. Yep. It can just be moving something from one area to another part of a room, or we also look at having all five elements represented in the room, and maybe it just means bringing a little fire in or, um, you know, a nice plant for that wood element, and and that can help balance the energy in a space, too. Wow. I guess I need you to come to my house then. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's for sure. I need some tranquility here. (laughs) It's all about chi or chi. What do you call it? Yep, that life force energy. We want your life force energy to come in through your door and, 
meander through all different aspects of your home or your office or in all different aspects of your life. And if there are areas um, that have a lot of clutter, we in feng shui you'll hear a lot about clutter because clutter is very sticky. If you leave something on your kitchen counter, you turn around and there's a huge pile that's developed somehow. That's because <laughs> that clutter is very sticky. And if clutter sticks around for a while, mm-hmm. um, the energy all around it stagnates. And because um, different areas of your environment represent different aspects of your life, you can also have stuck energy in that area of your life. So we like to have that clutter. Anything that's not loved or used or a place for it, we like to allow those things to move on and make new op- uh, make room for new opportunities to come into your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife should do that, but I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God bless Jan. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting because it's it's different rooms of the house and represent different parts of your life, include like your health your finances mm-hmm. and uh, marital bliss or whatever it is. Um, whatever it is. Yeah, it, it's... Go ahead. Creativity and children and your helpful people and your career and knowledge and self-cultivation. And we want all those different areas of your life to... We, the energy to come in through your front door. We consider your front door the mouth of chi. So we like to beautify your front entrance to attract that positive energy to come in and then meander through all those different aspects of your life. Hmm. And, and, you know, what's really interesting, too, Anne, is that, you know, this this goes back thousands of years. And, you know, a lot of large corporations actually uh, hire people like Lisa who have, have a company that deals with feng shui that come in and redo their offices. A lot of times, they even even before the buildings are built, they'll have a feng shui uh, consultant come in and make sure that the, where the hills are, the rivers are, and everything is, that everything is, is proper. Yep, we, um, we like to situate um, things in the belly of the dragon is what it's called, high on the back, protected on the sides with a sweeping view in front, and have that snugged-in feeling of sitting in an armchair. Mm-hmm. And we can now build... Our, Modern architecture can allow us to build on sides of cliffs and in any shape or form, and but we as humans still feel that need to be snugged in and safe mm-hmm. and comfortable. So we do a lot with the landscape and um, you know, and within the environment to make you feel snugged in and comfortable in your environment. That's a big part of it all. Wow, I didn't know you could do feng, sh- feng shui outside. I yep. thought it was oh, yeah. inside. Thing. Yeah, we do a lot of it. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Very nice. In, in the end, you know what? Probably one of the worst uh, violations of uh, the chi is in, in a house. Um. No. What? Leaving what the are? toilet seat up. <laughs> <laughs> we associate um, finances with water. So we uh-huh. don't want the, your finances going down the drain. So that's uh-huh. why we encourage you to close your toilet seat and uh-huh. stop, put, a, put the drains up in your sinks. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that, I'll have to pass that along. <laughs> so anytime, We've been trying, we life, been trying that for years. to put the toilet seats down. <laughs> that's funny. Actually, actually we got kind of to have the reverse of that in my house because I just leave the lid up, not the seat. Yep. 
and my husband's always saying, put the lid down. <laughs> and, oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of, kind of bizarre there, but, yeah, we have that backwards thing. So I guess uh, Art's telling me he's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lisa Law said. That's right. Right. Lisa's Law, I like that. Lisa's That's actually law. pretty good. There Lisa go. Law says... <laughs> You know, like, do you remember Burke's Law? I'm, that's way before you guys. But there used to be a TV show called Burke's Law, and that's mm. what, it, you know, that was his law. That's what it meant. So it was kind of Lisa's right. Law, the feng shui law. Oh, so. Ah. so you talked about the front the front door, making the oh, front yeah. door more attractive. So, like, I just have this little bitty, you know, it's a raised ranch scenario. So I have stairs going up, stairs going down. Or this little teeny weeny entranceway, but I mean, what are some of the things that you might do in that area? Well, on the outside, we like to have, um, you know, have your door painted a beautiful color, no clutter anywhere on your as you enter, okay. and then um, we like to have a nice greeter, maybe a, a nice plant or a water feature, or you know, some little piece of art that makes you feel welcome and comfortable in that space as you walk in. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, I have a plant. I'm doing yep. I'm doing well, well with that. Good. I have a pretty little lamp. Yep. Is that good? Sure. <laughs> so what we want is when you walk in your house, for it, you to have this, ah, oh, I'm home. So mm-hmm. do, when you walk in your house, do you have that feeling of it kind of giving you a big bear hug? Ah, okay. Well, you should come in like the garage door. So there's a problem right there. There is a problem. We encourage you to use your front door at least once a day. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe put something out there that you have to take care of, like a plant, or Mm -hmm. just open and close the door, go in and out and get the mail. Anything to open and close that door to allow that chi to enter. Any door is considered um, symbolic of opportunities. So we want to have all doors open clearly, um, nothing, no clutter behind them. Clutter-free, yeah. The way of them opening, having all the latches work well. And, and again, you can you can decorate your garage or your mudroom or however you're entering into the house so that it feels very welcoming to you. I've, I've seen people, you know, do great things in their garage with artwork and, and um, making it feel like another room in their house so that when they drive in every day, it has that wonderful feeling when they first get home. <laughs> we actually have a question from the uh, Pararex chat room, and uh, Ceiling Cat asks, uh, what about the stairway leading to your apartment? You know, because stairs, they can impair uh, for, uh, the, the chi, right? Is that correct? All stairways and hallways are considered, um, we map our bodies onto our environment, too. So stairways and hallways are your arteries or the veins in your body or mm-hmm. in your home. And so we don't want to have any blockages in there. Nice lighting. Um, and, again, you know, artwork and things that you love leading into your apartment, if you can, um, to encourage that chi to come up up your stairs with you to your apartment. Hmm. And then, you know, as you get to your apartment, have something there that welcomes you and makes you feel great as you open that door. Okay. I have to work on that then. <laughs> <laughs> The, the other the thing, garage you and, see everything you know, in a different way. Yeah, I'll just have to have, I can hang something on that door. <laughs> it's not my husband's complete domain. 
So. There's actually another problem, too, that a lot of houses that have uh, your entranceway and then they have the stairs leading right upstairs, and uh, that can impede the chi uh, as well. Isn't that right, Lisa? Mm-hmm. And how how can they remedy that situation? You know how you open the front so door. So you come and you in, just... and then the front, and then the stairs are right there. Yeah, but you know your living quarters are off to the right yep. or left. Yeah. What we like to do is um, you can hang a, a small glass faceted crystal above the bottom stair, and crystals help lift and circulate the chi. We don't want that chi to run down the the staircase really quickly and out your front door. So that's one thing you can do. You can instead of stepping your art down the stairs, you know what I mean, so that it mm. follows the stairs. You can do some horizontal arrangements of your art uh-huh. to help slow that chi down. Mm-hmm. Mm. You can also, if there's room, you can put a mirror, that, and that also helps circulate the chi back up. Right. Now, now, that's one thing. I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's what I call a kung pao mirror, I believe, or something. <laughs> yep. The, well, mirrors are um, are used in feng shui to help change the energy in a space. Um, and mirrors are activating. They double whatever they reflect. They're great to extend a wall. You know, if you have a wall that juts into your room, you can use a mirror to help create the feeling of, of it receding. You can use mirrors to um, brighten a dark space. You can use mirrors to bring the light in from the outside. And mm. uh, it can help solve some trouble spots in your home. So we use mirrors a lot. Huh. I have a mirror right by my front door, too. Yep. Right to the left as yep. you come in. Yep, that's right great. There. Yep. Hmm. Cool. Oh, good. Well, my, yeah. I guess well, my entryway is doing rep- good. represent the water element. Great. So if you want to bring the water element into a space, you can add a mirror there, too. Hmm. All right. I'm doing something right, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I find well, that, I we'll find see about that. people are doing lots of things right. As far as feng shui in their homes, there just might be some areas where um, they have a space that feels uncomfortable or, you know, they just need to step back and and think about how the space is being used. And I help them, you know, kind of analyze what's not working and help them fix those kind of spaces. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody's different. Yeah. Right. When you walk in a house, I mean, do you immediately, like, do you feel, like, the energy, do you feel... You know, what do you feel when you walk in a front door, even before you've seen the rest of that? They have tools, actually, too, Anne. They have tools? Mm-hmm. Like we have tools? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I use, I mean, I, I use my eyes as my main tool, and um, I do, I can feel, you know, if energy feels stuck in certain areas, um, mm-hmm. or if it feels very clear and, and, and like it's moving smoothly. I'm also... I have my first level of Reiki training, mm-hmm. and I really think that helps, too, to be able to <laughs> sense that energy. Right. But, um, um, so you know, so that's one of the things I'm looking at. And, and clutter is one of the biggest things that stops the energy from flowing in positive ways. And, you know, a lot of times it's just helping people to prioritize and, um, you know, really ask those questions I had said before about, you know, do I really, really love it? is what's in my environment helping me move forward in positive ways. We are constantly growing and evolving, and we want your environment to continue to grow and evolve with you. Like you might go through a stage where you're always wearing, say, the color black or the color red, and there's something about 
that color that you need to absorb um, for, for something in your life. Or if you have, a, say, a collection of seashells, there's something about those seashells. You need to absorb that seashell energy. And when you, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, you pick out something black in your, in your closet and it doesn't feel right anymore. And that's because you've absorbed whatever that energy is and you can allow it to move on. And then, you know, maybe you need something else at that point and you start, you know, collecting that or wearing that color because that is what you need at that time. And we, we look at your environment that way too, you know, as, is it evolving? Is it supporting who you are now and who you want to be? And so I ask a lot of those questions and work with people on, you know, is, does your environment represent those things to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so much. I mean, you know, for instance, dried flowers are not exactly good in a house. Ooh, I hate that. Well, we, anything that we want everything to have vital she, you know, that living energy still associated with it. So live plants are the best. Um, you know, if you have dried plants that are really dusty and falling yeah. apart, and, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of chi attached to them <laughs> anymore. So, mm. Or, like, if you have plants that are half dead or dying or in a, in a base that are already dead, we want you to replace those with very healthy plants. No plant hospitals in feng shui, <laughs> you know, apologize, I'm sorry, and allow the plant to move on and and uh, do the best you can the next time. See, see, that's the hardest thing for me because I cannot kill anything, including plants that still have a little bit of love left in them, a little <laughs> life left in them. I actually do have plant hospitals, places where I uh, bring my plants to thrive and, you know, come back from the dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, so yeah. Frankenstein's lab, so to speak, for plants. There you right? go, for yeah. plants, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, so what interest- area in the Bagua they are? Uh, I do not know. Uh, in the wrong area, I can tell you that. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, but there's an, uh, the one I, I mentioned tools a little bit earlier. There's also a, a compass that you use too, isn't it? And yes, some of the there are many there are many different um, schools of feng shui. Right. There are there are schools of feng shui called compass schools where they orient everything according to astrology or according to the points on a compass. I was trained in what's called a form school or essential feng shui, and we're more interested in is your home clutter free. Is it clean? Um, is everything supporting you in positive ways? We're not looking at the points of the compass the way some other schools are. Right. So, and we orient our Bagua map from the front door. Mm-hmm. So, if you lay the front, if you're standing at your front door and you lay that map in front of you, um, that's how we interpret the Bagua. Ah. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there are so many things there. Uh, you know, uh, for instance, bowls. Bowls uh, can be useful in feng shui as well, as well, right? Yep, you can bring in the metal. It depends. It can take on the characteristic of, of the metal element, and if you want to bring metal into an area, um, you can bring a metal bowl in. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there are all different kinds of things you can you can think about in all your spaces it, Feng shui, we, we say it opens your feng shui eyes. You know, when you learn to interpret your environment according to the, you know, the five elements in the Bagua map and, and really getting it functioning in, in really positive ways, you know, where we're really looking at your spaces in a whole new way. 
and there are some feng shui cures like that, you know, that, like, we like to have, um, you know, we use mirrors and some crystals and some different things. But for me, living with what you love is the number one thing in feng shui that enhances your chi and your environment and, and really looking around and saying, you know, is everything here supporting me? Do I have things that maybe someone gave me that I don't like or that bring up a sad time in my life? Those are the things that lower your your energy and we want to have those things move on from your life and, and replaced with things that support who you are and where you're going. You, you know, what's interesting, Lisa, is uh, I'm a lot like my mom was, and she was a collector, and she collected everything. Yep. Uh, so I have, like, everything. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard for me to let it go. And, and, and you know, it's really funny. Lately, I have been doing that. I've been mm-hmm. releasing a lot more, and uh, uh, I don't know if it's any good or bad, but... <laughs> um, inherited things are the ones that... Um, inherited things and gifts produce the most guilt when we want to... Um, when we don't want to have them anymore. And um, I find that decluttering is kind of like peeling back the layers of an onion. Mm-hmm. There are those outer layers that are really easy to get rid of. And then as you go deeper and deeper, it's harder and harder to get rid of those things. But, you know, it helps me to ask those questions, you know, do I really love it? Is it getting used? Or if I pass it along or sell it or give it away, then is someone new going to get to enjoy that thing that is maybe sitting in a box in my basement? Yes, true. And that makes me true. feel good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. I've always done that is, is like if I, I'll take things and try to pass them on to other people uh, so that they have a happy life. But anyway, so believe it or not, we're almost done with this this uh, first half of the show. So I we're going to be saying goodbye to you. But we do want to mention your website once again, which is? It's... Um, LisaLawDesignServices.com. And they can contact you there regarding a consultant. Contact me through, through the website. I also have a um, monthly uh, newsletter that I do, and they can sign up to get um, event notifications and newsletters if they'd like. All right. And I also am, am glad to announce that Lisa is also going to be uh, writing for our newsletter as well. So I'm, yeah, I'm excited that. about that. Yeah, awesome. thank you. Yeah, that's thanks. great. Thanks for asking me to do it. Oh no, <laughs> I mean it's, me it's our pleasure. Thank you. You know, I figure, uh, uh, you know, this is something that has to be done. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely is, especially in my house. I can think of a big thing that I need. I can think of a big thing that I need to move along. But anyway. Uh, yeah, let's not go there. We won't go there. <laughs> All right, Lisa, we want to thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, keep in touch. And uh, we have any specific questions from any of our listeners, uh, you know, email us or email Lisa, and I'm sure uh, you'll get an answer for it. So thank you, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Have Thanks, Lisa. Night. Good All right. night. Bye-bye. Bye now. Oh, that was cool. There's the beats. Yeah, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with the Blonde Bomb Show on New England's own in Helsinki. Radio with a cutting edge. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep in the topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. 
For more information on Tricia and Living Inspired, go to her website, TriciaGoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Ann and our next guest, who isn't here yet, yet. (laughs) or maybe here. Not yet. But that was very interesting. I I put that for you because I know you need it. Well, thank you, dear. Isn't that sweet? But feng shui is actually really, really cool, and... uh, it really, if you could just make some simple changes, and, and, and when you think about it, I mean, just just think about like if if you have an office or, or you have a place where you work, then it gets you know if it's anything like mine, you got crap everywhere. But yours might not be that bad. And mm-hmm. when you go and you clean it, don't you feel so much better? And it seems like things go a little better. Yeah. I do. I definitely do. I definitely do. I yeah. mean, so that's what feng shui is about. That type of things. When I when I like I have a like a um, I call it a buffet, and it's it's just it's an old fabulous um, piece of furniture that we inherited from, you know, my husband's great. He was a great uncle or something, but whatever. And I love this piece of furniture, but it's always covered with crap. It's like the dumping ground. The mail's there. The mm-hmm. you know the keys are there, the pocketbooks are there. We get a box, the box is there, and it's just like, you know, and that's the first thing I see when I come in from the garage, you know, and that and that's I mean, not I, good. I park my my truck in the garage and come come in through the garage door every night, and here's this thing, and and right beside that thing is this big old ugly coat rack that I hate. Well, I guess you do. <laughs> So I think that's the first thing is going to go out the door. <laughs> mm. Well, maybe the Any, second thing. Anyways, we have our next. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, we have our next guest on the line. He is uh, a professor from uh, Northern Essex Community College. His name is Lenny. Uh, Calvarolato, I think it is, if I didn't butcher it. When are you there? You probably did. I am here. Yeah, I'm welcome. Here. And I actually had the pleasure of, of meeting Lenny when I first uh, did the first investigation uh, for, at the VZ Estate for the, with the Boston Globe. And he had some remarkable stories, that, uh, and so therefore I asked him to come on to the show and uh, talk to us a little bit about it. And it, so that's why you're here, Lenny. That is, that is why I'm here, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, you were telling me about a composer, and I can't remember his name, and how he supposedly was aided by ghosts. Or, well, why don't you go into it? Tell us, tell us a little bit about it. Well, this is, this is one of the truly remarkable stories. You know, uh, with everything like ghosts, apparitions, spirits, uh, past lives, future lives, you name it, my 
source of information. I always kind of go back to Shakespeare and that wonderful passage in Hamlet, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. And I think this is really true. You know, there are things I cannot explain, so I just keep an open mind and leave it to somebody else. Um, Robert Schumann was the composer. Now, this is certainly one of the giants of the 19th century romantic period. Um, Schumann, unfortunately, had a rather sad life. Um, Things went well until around 1840 when he had a breakdown. Um, 1854, he tried to commit suicide by throwing himself in the Rhine River. He was fished out, but spent the rest of his day in the loony bin and and actually died in an asylum. Oh, God. Now, that's rather tragic because this is a man of immense genius, and those who know his music, his songs, his piano repertoire, uh, the piano concerto, um... He wrote something like 150 to 200 art songs, marvelous pieces. Um, His symphony, certainly the first symphony, is the mainstay of the orchestral repertoire. What I learned much later was that he had written a violin concerto, and for whatever reason, people to this day kind of hush, hush that concerto. In fairness, it's not the greatest thing he ever wrote. Um, It probably does show a little bit of artistic exhaustion. Um, But I was always kind of surprised that this thing was unknown uh, until so late, until the 1930s. Um, What happened? Well, the original story was that there was a violin concerto, one of his very last works. It disappeared, and then a Hungarian violinist um, said that she had had a dream about Schumann who asked her to unearth the work. And it didn't upset me too much. I thought, gee, that sounds a little bit sanitized. <laughs> then there was also a note. In one of his hallucinations, Schumann apparently thought that the spirits of Mendelssohn and Schubert had come and were dictating things to him. And that sounded... Interesting. Well, why is it hallucination? Well, it's got to be hallucination because, after all, no one believes in ghosts. Uh, That one bothered me a little bit more. You know, that bothered me a little bit more because I don't know. All right? And I profess that I don't know. Okay. The history of this piece, it was written in very short order, uh, less than a month, in 1853. Um, and it was given to his friend, the, the, it was dedicated to his friend, a, a very great violinist of that period, named Joachim. Um, Joachim had, you know, kind of looked at it, and um, he was a little unsure about what to make of it. Apparently, the last movement, Schumann wrote the whole last movement in just three days. I'm not sure I could copy the parts out by hand in three days. Mm-hmm. To conceive of this music from nothing, this is quite a feat. Right. Um, okay. Anyway, um, Joachim played through it with the Hanover Orchestra. I think it was called the, I don't remember, I think it was the 
the Royal Orchestra, the Court Orchestra of Hanover, uh, which he conducted. I think he either conducted it or he was the concert master. Again, I'm not 100% sure of the details. Uh, he didn't like it. He <laughs> made some kind of snide remarks about it. Now, for whatever reason, he kept the manuscript, he kept the, all the parts, he kept all the music. Uh, what did the musicologists say? Well, he may have suspected that this work was, uh, you know, a reflection of the fact that the composer was losing it upstairs. And, and indeed, just a couple of months later uh, was when he threw himself in the river. Uh, and that was in the winter. That was in February. So, you know, you have to remember to throw oneself into a, a river in February in Germany is... <laughs> If you don't drown, you may die of hypothermia. Yeah, the guy was definitely trying to kill himself. <laughs> um, at any rate, um, he then, Joachim, after Schumann died, Schumann died in 1856. Joachim is still holding on to this music. And uh, he tells the wife of Schumann, Clara Schumann, and also the young Johannes Brahms, who was living in the household at the time, or more or less living there, um, that it is, yeah, you don't want to publish this in the complete work of Robert's, uh, in the complete edition of Robert's work. This is so inferior. Keep it out, which they did. And uh, then, late in life, Joachim deposits this music all the parts, the whole manuscript, the full score, um, with the State Library in Berlin. Okay, Joachim died in 1905 and 19, so he died early in the same, it was before, well before World War I, and he said this should not be played, it should not be opened until 100 years after Robert Schumann's death, meaning... 1956. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, hey, it's his music. He's giving it to the library, and he's entitled to make certain provisions about it. Okay. Well, where do we go from here? Everything seems to be quiet until March 1933. There are two women. They are both violinists. They are, in fact, sisters from Hungary. Um, one is named Daranyi or Daranchi. Um, I, I don't know how to pronounce these names. The other one is Tatsiri uh, or Tatsiri. I'm not sure how these that's pronounced. At any rate, they both attend a spiritualist seance in London. In London. <clears throat> and out of nowhere comes a spirit voice who identifies himself as Robert Schumann, and he wants one of the sisters to recover an unpublished work of his, which she claimed she had no knowledge about, and to perform it. Wow. Well, then comes the second message, and this one comes from the spirit of Joachim, who tells them that the work in question is the violin concerto, and it happens to be in the State Library in Berlin. <laughs> oh, wow. So, <laughs> Out of nowhere, these two people who have no, nobody knows anything about this work. I mean, please understand, I have seen 
were, you know, biographical material on Schumann that dates from the 1920s or earlier, there is no mention of a violin concerto anywhere. Nobody knows anything about it. Uh-huh. Out of the blue, these two people in the 1930s claim that at a, at a seance, somehow or other, they channeled the ghosts or spirits of Schumann and then Joachim. Schumann saying there's a work of his that's never been played. Joachim saying it's Schumann's violin concerto and it's in the State Library in Berlin. Sounds they like a Jones movie. <laughs> well, it, it's amazing, but at any rate, they, they went to Berlin and they got access to the archives and the stacks, and sure enough, the damn thing turns up. Wow. There was even a story which has apparently been disputed that they were having trouble finding it, and then at night, and this is where I think they overlap that to a dream, the violinist who would ultimately play it um, said that in a dream, Schumann came to her and told her exactly where in the stacks it was. So this is another variation of the story we could kind of tie in a little bit more. But in the meantime, both of these sisters admitted that they had found out about this thing in the seance, they knew nothing about it. Well, nobody knew anything about it. I mean, that's—I I, I think that's a given. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why a violinist to whom this work is dedicated would decide that he didn't want it played until a hundred years after the composer died. Could be crazy Roland, too. <laughs> maybe. Hey, well, hey, you know, among musicians, you're talking to one here, so <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, we're not all there. None of us are. But, but. The, the, the deal is, why does he suddenly come back in spirit? Spirit goes, I mean, again, use whatever terminology you want, and tell her where it is, what library. I mean, in fairness, how many libraries were there in Germany where this thing might have been stashed? Oh, absolutely. If I said to you, there's, there's a manuscript somewhere in Germany, mm-hmm. in a library, go find it. You're never going to find it. Where are you going to start, okay? So apparently Joachim himself must have had a change of heart. In the spirit realm, he came back. Uh, Okay, where am I coming from? Well, uh, shall I read that quote from Shakespeare again? There's more to heaven and earth than is dreamt of in my philosophy, too. I cannot explain this story, and I've never yet talked to anyone who can Somehow or other, something happened that seems to defy what we call as the normal parameters of our everyday lives. Right. It's an amazing story when you yeah. think about it. I mean, we, we, we hear stories about people we don't know and maybe there was something, but here is a great composer, one of the, the greatest composers, and, and uh, an unknown manuscript, a seance in London, that's great manuscript in Berlin, um, and it's amazing. It's an absolutely amazing story. Is there a movie about this? <laughs> no, but if you want to start working with her round one, go right ahead. You know, but <laughs> it, it is it is absolutely staggering. I mean, when you think about it, um, I think it'd be cool. It'd be a great movie. I I would just like to hear somebody explain this away. I mean, again, I've got a very open mind. Mm-hmm. But how do you explain it? Ron, you, you deal far more with ghosts than I do. Can you find any plausible... I mean, you must have had people 
try to blow holes in some story that you've told them at one time. Oh, absolutely. No, Can you even imagine a hole? Give me a hole. Present a hypothetical explanation for this one. I'm stumped. There isn't. That's why, that's why it's an amazing story, Lenny, and, and it's, you know, it, it, it's not a story that, like, you know, was perpetuated over the years. This is a, a story that happened years later. So yeah. that's what makes it really cool. It, it's not like, you know, since he died, there was supposed to be this thing, blah, 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 blah. No, this is much later. Everything happens later. So it's really a cool story. Oh, you're, t- you're talking 80 years after he wrote the piece, 1933 to 1853 is 80 years. Exactly. Uh, and, and nobody's alive. Everybody who might have known about it, Byron Schumann is dead, Brahms is dead, Joachim is dead, Robert Schumann is dead. Right. I'm sure there wasn't anybody in the orchestra who was still alive. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, as I said, now, as far as Schumann having said that the spirits of Mendelssohn and Schubert dictated things to him, I mean, that doesn't hold up as well because many composers, I've had dreams at night in which I've heard music in the style of one composer or another and have gotten up, and some of my compositions are, in fact, music that has been dictated to me in dream. Now, is it coming from spirit? Is it coming from deep in my subconscious? Okay, we don't know. That's a little bit harder to explain. In other words, I don't claim, uh, as, by the way, uh, Rosemary Brown said that she would actually have music dictated to her by the spirits of Various composers. That's that's subject for another whole program. I'd have to do some research on her. But I don't claim that, you know, uh, Bach came into the room and started dictating some music for me, and I said, gee, thanks, I need a Quran for my suite over here. No, I mean, I have this music. I, I awaken wide awake from dreams and start sketching out music that I've heard almost as though it's from dictation. Wow. Now, again, Schumann could say... It was dictated to him by the, the spirit of Mendelssohn or Schubert. It may have come to him in a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I'm not taken by that argument. I, I'll say there's enough room for skepticism because I've experienced something similar. And I'll say that since I don't ever recall a ghostly or spiritual presence within the dream, in fact, I'm quite sure I was dreaming because I remember waking up. But this. As I said, this seance, I mean, my God, what would I have paid, what would you have paid to be there at that seance? Right. Uh, wow. I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I would have paid a high fee. Right. I mean, you have automatic writing, right? At, at oh, yes. Like, I, I've actually, I, so yeah, why not I've, automatic composing? I've seen automatic writing. As a matter of fact, when I was doing hypnosis, I saw an incredible example mm-hmm. of automatic writing. And that that hand was writing stuff that I can guarantee you the, the mind, body, and, well, the mind and the body behind the hand had no idea what was being written. It was uh-huh. extraordinary. Yeah. It, that, that I've seen, and I think many people are aware that automatic writing is real. Um, yeah. And that, that also occurs in seances, as you correctly note. So mm-hmm. it's amazing. I mean, we, we, we have just a 
whole vast unexplored region. I mean, that's why I'm so excited when when I bumped into Ron. I said, "My God, this is wonderful!" Because you know, you got somebody who's making these presentations and really helping other people explore a world that, that, that they may have been afraid. I mean, sometimes I think people are afraid to say, look, if I say to somebody in the street, hey, man, I just saw a ghost last night, uh, sure, pal, stay right where you are. I'm going to make a quick phone call. We'll, we'll, we'll help you out. We'll help you out. Uh, you know, and, and you know, we're, we're just we're stuck in this gestalt. You know, you, there are no ghosts. If you believe there are ghosts or spirits or things like that, you're crazy by definition. You know what's interesting, Lenny, too, is, is of course, Chopin uh, also reportedly saw ghosts and stuff. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, no, I'm not familiar with that. Can you tell me a little more? Because that sounds fascinating. I, I believe it was in Spain. He was actually, uh, uh, they caught him talking to nobody, and, and he said he was speaking to, uh, oh, I forget who, who it was at that time. I, I'd have to do more research on it. But, uh, yeah, it, it, and his uh, his heart, Chopin's heart, is actually in a jar in uh, Poland to this yeah, day. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, a rather ghastly tale. Yep. Yeah. His well, body not really. I mean, he was he's, he was such a, a national treasure to Poland that you know uh, I could see that. Yep. They got they got the heart. And France got the rest of the body. Yep. <laughs> wow. But, uh, that's that's yeah, that's yet another one. But yeah, that. Uh, the Rosemary Brown thing, I mean, I know they wrote horrible things about her, but this was apparently a woman. All I remember is that she came out of nowhere. She had no musical training whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she was starting to write out music that was being dictated to her, she said, by the spirits of this one, that one, and the other one. And uh, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. You know. I know it's it's uh-huh. really cool stuff. Anyways, I, I did want to mention one more thing, and I want to thank you so much for sharing that story because I don't think too many people really uh, have heard of it before. I mean, I certainly didn't until I, I ran into you, and uh, I mean, I was really lucky to uh, that that happened because, uh, as I said, not too many people really know that, of that story. Uh, but you also live at Beasy Estate, where we are are uh, holding our uh, Spirit Quest Conference in July, which is a three-day event, and we're excited about that. But, I mean, you, you actually live there, and, and have you ever had any experiences with, with uh, any figures or anything like that there, or, or any odd occurrences? Well, you know, what I can tell you honestly is this. I have never seen, and yet I will tell you twice, I sensed another presence. Now, both times it was in the downstairs portion. I had the feeling of some movement going out of an area that's called Kingry Hall and into the area of the industrial kitchen, which is they, the two are adjacent. And, you know, I, I suppose one can say very often we see some indication of motion without being sure what it was we saw moving. Um, I wish I could say to you, honestly, is it would make the, the, the conversation more interesting. I actually saw, no, I didn't actually see anything. And, of course, obviously, with that time of day where 
the room was dark. I had to turn on the light. And turning from the light on, you know, as the eyes shift, uh, what is it, from rocks to bones, or is it the other way around? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that it happened twice uh, in a relatively short span of time uh, was was intriguing. I, again, uh, I think this is a place where quite a few other people have had some sort of experience. And uh, in particular, I believe there was a, a, a gentleman from the fire from a fire department. I think it was from the Georgetown Fire Department. Maybe I'm mixing up the towns here. Uh, who had a, a really, uh, a really kind of disturbing, but but in a way wonderfully cathartic experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, so it's just the fact that several people, who none of whom are coming from a bias where they say, "Oh yeah, I believe in ghosts." The last twenty five, thirty years, they simply experience something, often for the first time in their lives. Right. Uh, now, was it a ghost? You know, there are also presumably spiritual entities or spirit entities that are not ghosts. Um, you know, was it one of those? Uh, I have no idea, but I did think another present. But that the second time, even before I turned on the light, at which point I may or may not have seen something moving from point A to point B, I sensed that I was not alone. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about it is that under normal circumstances, you know, it's late at night and I'm in a dark place all alone in the building, or presumably all alone in the building. One would think, gee, if I sense there's somebody else in here, gee, right away, you know, the, the adrenaline should be pumping. It should right, go into exactly. either a, a stress response, a fight or flight. But I felt nothing of the kind. It's more of a curiosity. I wonder what or who it might be. Well, there's the, there's the bell. That means the pizza's here. The bell. We have to wrap this okay. up. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Lynn. Thanks for sharing that story with us. And uh, you know, I'll see you up there again because I'm teaching I, a couple more classes in the fall up there. So I'll be there. wonderful. And I hope people realize what a treasure it is for the school, for you, the community, for everybody, including VC, that you're able to do that. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Have a good night. Yourself. Bye bye. Thanks, Lenny. Good night. Wow, that was that was a cool story, though. You know, I mean, it's I had never heard of it before until I had met him, as I said. So I mean that. That is pretty crazy. I, I think it would be a great movie, right? You know, it's just like I, I, a whole we, mystery, got that mystery element to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mystery you know, and you know, ghosts. Yeah, I, think, and I think you're on to something, Ian. There uh, you go. Maybe I can make a million dollars for this uh-huh. I'm going to start writing it. Anyway, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles <laughs> Next Generation with the Blonde Bombshell and, of course, uh, New England's own Van Helsink right here on Cataract. Cool. Toji Nutt and... Everywhere else it's played, so. <laughs> I think those drugs are kicking your butt. You think? That's what I think. You're so low-key tonight. <laughs> hey, you, you, go, you spend a lot of time in, in the cemetery, don't you? Uh, yes, sir, I do. Really? Yeah. Why? Huh? Why? What about it? 
Oh, I, I just was wondering. I just happened to see something before, and uh, I just didn't know if uh, you had run across it. Okay. But, uh, but according to uh, this this newspaper article right here that I have in front of me, uh-huh. uh-huh, yes, a 39-year-old woman was rushed to into a New Jersey hospital after a gravestone rolled over her leg while she may have been engaged in a sexual act, according to police. <laughs> there may have been some extracurricular activity, Captain James Stevens of Hamilton Township Police told AOL. This is so uh, bad. He the are coming he, on there, buddy. Yeah, I know. He added that he didn't think the woman was seriously injured in the accident, which happened around 7 p.m. on May 31st, while she was visiting the grave, a relative's grave, with a man. Stevens did not know how the tombstones toppled, nor did he oh know my who the headstone belonged to. Okay. I think it's time to say goodnight, Ron. Yeah, you think I had a latest arrest? I think so. Gives a whole new meaning to Boneyard. Just bury it. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Good night. God bless. From goalies to ghosties, long-legged beasties. 